3: Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the latest moment to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Bottom of the hour, the man who wants to be the next senator from Pennsylvania, Dr. Mehmet Oz. He's going to be with us live. Always love having him on. I got a bunch of stuff to ask him. Facts and, uh, facts and fiction as it relates to COVID-19. And Chad Pergram standing by to bring us the latest on what's happening on Capitol Hill today. A big vote in the House. And then what is the overall strategy? With the uh, federalizing elections What's the overall strategy With carving out the filibuster Or blowing it up This so-called nuclear option Uh, There are some problems with that No one knows that better than Chad He's going to break it down So let's get to the big three
2: Now with the stories you need to know It's Brian's big three
4: Number three over the coming weeks, as cases are predicted to peak in this country. While we are seeing early evidence that Omicron is less severe than Delta and that those infected are less likely to require hospitalization, it's important to note that Omicron continues to be much more transmissible than Delta.
3: Right, that was no help. Uh, how about this? The UK, it's falling off a cliff, and South Africa, it's already gone, fed up. That's how the Dems feel about the Biden administration when it comes to the test, the PPE and messaging on COVID. Notice I said Dems as the president's chief medical advisor, Anthony Fauci, now in his third year of COVID contradictions, has lost all credibility with the right while stirring up strong national anger and frustration.
1: Number two, they're related, I think, to inflation, which people are reminded of every time they go to the grocery store or buy a a tank of gas. It's due to COVID, uh, the difficulty, the failure to get COVID under control Uh, he's going to be finishing his first year in office with an approval rating that is really underwater
3: uh no doubt about it that's susan page of usa today 33 percent. that's the approval rating of president biden it's an unimaginably bad economy first and foremost inflation a 45 year high but bad enough for dems to bring back hillary it's more than a theory it might exactly be what could help the reeling party and what they're planning to do we'll explain
5: number one
3: what about senator manchin what about Senator Sidney? I don't
5: think anyone should be absolved from the responsibility of preserving and protecting our democracy, Are you especially when they took an oath to protect and defend our Constitution.
3: Uh, that is a extremely agile, uh, Vice President Harris. Agree with me or blow up the filibuster. Federalized elections or you're a racist, slave aspiring slave owner. That's the theme President Biden is pushing this week. And let's just say the blowback has been powerful and widespread. One person on board with his incoherent operation, believe it or not, Barack Obama. Chad Brugger has been watching it all, taking it all in. Yesterday was an interesting series of events. Chad, welcome back. Thanks for having me. First off, on the agenda today, What is the house taking up?
0: What the House did here is they combined two voting bills, and and really this is, isn't so much about the House of Representatives. This is more about the Senate. The idea that they could put these together, and this gets in the weeds a little bit, but it's important. Put it together in a bill that's already been bouncing back and forth between the House and the Senate, because they're inserting the voting rights language in that bill and then essentially passing it again. You know this combo bill, it makes it much easier to get the bill on the floor in the Senate. In the Senate, you have. Potentially two filibusters on most most bills, one to start debate and one to end debate. What this does, because this bill is eligible to be bounced back and forth, you cut off the first filibuster. So this is really a House action to tee up the Senate. What will happen probably in the coming days is that the majority leader, uh, Chuck Schumer, will try to put this bill on the floor. He'll get it on the floor and then move to cut off debate, filibuster, try to overcome a filibuster. And that's where you need 60 votes as things stand right now. He's not going to get 60 votes. So his approach here is two-pronged. Number one, portray the Republicans as obstructionists. And then number two, apply this pressure on Kirsten Sinema and Joe Manchin to say, won't you help us alter the filibuster? And what you need, Brian, again, we have to go in the weeds here. Uh, You need a failed vote to cut off a filibuster to go nuclear, to, you know, kind of light the fuse on the nuclear option there. And that's essentially what he's doing. That's what happened in 2013 with the late Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid, with the executive branch nominees lowering the threshold to end filibusters from 60 votes to 51. The same with Mitch McConnell for the Supreme Court when he was the majority leader in 2017. So what they would do is do this specific to voting bills. And then maybe sometime over the weekend or maybe on Martin Luther King Day is when they would have that procedural vote to kind of dare Manchin and Cinema to go nuclear and change the filibuster specifically for voting rights.
3: A couple of things. First off, do you know where Mark Kelly stands, the other senator from Arizona?
0: Well, he's somebody who's been a little bit reluctant on this score, too. Uh, we've also heard some things from Gene Shaheen, uh, the Democrat from Massachusetts, excuse from New Hampshire. Uh, this is where, you know, you get into the nuance here of who really wants to do what. A lot of people say, well, I'm for keeping the filibuster. I don't want to change the rules. And I should note, without getting in the weeds on this, this is not technically a rules change because it's very hard to change the Senate rules. You're establishing a new precedent. But when you talk to John Tester, Democrat from Montana, He's a moderate. He said, I'm willing to do this specifically for the filibuster. A lot of people think that you're opening Pandora's box here. And so what 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 Chuck Schumer wants to do is get these guys on the vote, even if that vote, the nuclear option vote fails. And so the progressive uh, activists and and, and left wing lobbyists and others can really turn up the heat on whether it be Mark Kelly, whether it be Manchin, Cinema, whoever, and say, won't you please vote to change this, whether or not they do that in this round or sometime in the near future?
3: Here is Joe Manchin a couple of days ago. Cut four.
6: The filibuster is what makes the Senate hopefully work when it's supposed to work. We need some good rules changes, and we can do that together. But you change the rules with two-thirds of the people that are present. So it's Democrats and Republicans changing the rules to make the place work better. Getting rid of the filibuster does not make it work better.
0: Doesn't seem like a, a lot of wiggle room there. No, it doesn't. And that's a very nuanced answer there by Joe Manchin that most people aren't going to pick up on. He talks about, he says the word rule, changing the rules, and he also talks about two thirds. If you're going to, quote, change the Senate rules, which is very hard to do, which is not what they're doing today, you need two thirds to overcome a filibuster on a rules change. So, as I say, what they're doing here, that, you know, this was something very creative by. The Democrats in 2013, even if you disagree with it, and then, of course, Republicans kind of appropriated this in 2017, uh, to lower the bar with precedent. The Senate operates mostly on precedent, not by its rules. So is Joe Manchin saying, I'm only going, going to go for a rules change? in which case you need a two-thirds supermajority, and therefore you need Democratic and Republican buy-in? Or is he willing to say, okay, you know, I'm not talking about a rules change. I'm okay on establishing a new precedent. You see, there, that's a very nuanced answer that the average guy listening in Dubuque or anyplace else is not going to pick up on. And that's why I'm trying to explain this right now. You know, so I, we don't really know how Manchin will feel when the rubber hits the road on that specific issue.
3: So, uh, so you're up in the air about Mark Kelly. What about cinema?
0: Cinema, is somebody who has weighed in uh, as well with Manchin. You know, she's pretty much right there uh, with Manchin. Uh, but until you have that roll call vote, and this is what Schumer wants to do is document these senators. You know, usually you engineer and weaponize these votes on the other side. What Chuck Schumer is conceivably doing here is putting this on the floor to weaponize the vote against members of his own party to pressure them to vote uh, to change the filibuster. And, you know, the other thing that's happening today, of course, President Biden is coming to Capitol Hill today to make this pitch. Uh, You know, when he came to Capitol Hill twice on the House side in the fall to push for infrastructure and build back better, that didn't work out too hot. You know, he swung and he missed. Now, granted, the House you know, to be fair, eventually passed infrastructure and passed Build Back Better. Uh, infrastructure is now law, but they did not do it upon his visit. And so a lot of people are thinking, you know, you really want to go 0 for 3 here, Mr. President?
3: It's a huge risk. I mean, this is their thumbs down John McCain moment again. But I would thought, I want to know, I, you know, you're used to rhetoric and people saying things and then maybe smiling behind the scenes. Mitch McConnell. I, I was stunned by that speech Tuesday for me personally, Chad. I don't expect you to comment. I was stunned. I mean, really? Abraham Lincoln or, or, uh, or, or you're basically a racist? So uh, I could not believe he was talking about either you're Martin Luther King or you're a racist. So here is Mitch McConnell bringing up, uh, bringing up uh, what he thought of the speech cut eight.
7: He compared, listen to this, a bipartisan majority of senators to literal traitors how profoundly profoundly unprecedented look i've known liked and personally respected joe biden for many years i did not recognize the man at the podium yesterday the president's rant rant yesterday was incoherent incorrect and beneath his office.
3: So you know these guys are friends, and you've been around for a lot of their service. What do you think of that?
0: Well, it was interesting. Uh, Joe Biden came to the press uh, came to the Capitol yesterday uh, to pay his respects to Harry Reid, who was lying in state in the Capitol rotunda. And he was asked later what he thought about McConnell's criticisms, and he said, "He said, Oh, I like Mitch McConnell.' He said, we are still friends.'" Really, uh, two things are going on there. Number one, McConnell, I think he really feels that way. Number two, uh, you know, he's trying to also redeem himself to the right, you know, because a lot of folks on the right now get this credibility when they criticize Biden, especially with the uh, those who are loyal to former President Trump. Mitch McConnell has taken a lot of heat from former President Trump. So he's trying to inoculate himself in that regard. And number three, you know, this is also to, you know, to to show just how, uh, you know, uh, toxic this debate is right now on Capitol Hill. You know, to say, I think you're really going to go that far to blow up the filibuster and use that language. You know, Mitch McConnell is an institutionalist. He protects the filibuster, even though he did what he did in 2017 with uh, Neil Gorsuch. He's very concerned about the prerogatives of the Senate. It's a different institution compared to the House of Representatives. And Mitch McConnell has, you know, indicated paybacks are hell. You know, if, if the Senate flips, uh, you know, and you guys, you know, are then in the minority, we're going to run roughshod over you with all the things that you passed. We're going to undo and all the things we're going to pass on guns and and anti-immigration issues and, and the border. And, and, you know, pick your poison there. That's what he's saying, because that would fundamentally change the Senate. And if the Democrats, in fact, go nuclear now. Mitch McConnell is warning. Remember I talked earlier about precedent? Yeah. Just the idea when the Senate comes in in the morning or goes out in the evening or everything else. Technically, you're supposed to do a lot of that stuff with roll call votes and you got to have all the senators there. I mean, you, you know, but because of precedent, Brian, the book of Senate precedent is voluminous compared to this pamphlet, which are the Senate rules. And when they do this, so he's going to stick it to them. If they do this, we're going to have to vote about what time we're going to adjourn, what time we're going to come in the morning. The simplest, most administrative things, this will be nuclear winter in the United States Senate.
3: Yeah. You know, one thing about it, and I think you correct me on this, but every time Donald Trump said blow up the filibuster, Mitch McConnell said no. You know, in the Supreme Court justice because of the precedent with judges and Harry Reid, that kind of made sense that he was going to do that. Plus, we know what he did with Merrick Garland. So, But he always said no, and Lindsey Graham said no. So Chuck Schumer is on record. I could play a montage and bore you to death because you heard it so much. Of all the times he said how dangerous it would be to blow up the filibuster. And to say it's a desperate situation when you look at the Texas or Georgia law, it just doesn't add up.
0: Can I let you in on a little secret here? Yes. This is something that Chuck Schumer knows, that where the votes stand right now, that this is not going to work. He's not going to get Manchin and Cinema and maybe some others who we've talked about to vote to alter the filibuster. So this is an appeal to the left wing. They did not get Build Back Better done yet. They're taking a lot of heat. Stacey Abrams didn't show up with the president yesterday or Tuesday in Georgia. And so if you go to the mat and show and do everything you can, not say, this is what we're trying to do. And, some, and both parties do this. This is almost, Brian, the Democrats' version of, Of the Republicans back 10, 11 years ago, repeal and replace Obamacare, repeal and replace Obamacare. And they knew they probably couldn't get there, but they preached that for years. They ran on that successfully in midterm elections for years. And so that is some of what this is about, and Chuck Schumer knows that. Right. The
3: House kept voting to repeal and replace and would just stop. And Obama would just say, well, are you guys getting tired of voting on this?
0: And there was never a replacement plan that could pass Congress.
3: Right. There was almost. Wouldn't you think that skinny plan that That, that we was got close.
0: The... That was close. The McCain thing. You well, that And early.
3: no one yeah. even brings up Rand Paul also voted against it, right?
0: Right. And so that's the problem, you know, in all this. It was it was a big challenge. You know, even when they were able to do it. Yeah. President Obama vetoed it. You know, it was just never going to happen.
3: And just something you'd appreciate. I, I found it fascinating to find out that Joe Biden's bringing up Jefferson Davis. He brings up, Are you Jefferson Davis, you're going to be Abraham Lincoln. It turns out in 1977, Biden was part of It was before your time. Biden was part of the Senate Judiciary oh, I, was when, <laughs> I was around. I was around. When he unanimously voted to have Davis's citizenship restored. So he joined Jimmy Carter and other senators to have it restored. That it was taken away, obviously, when he led the Confederacy and was taken away in 1876. How unbelievable is it that he's bringing this up now as a Democrat, too?
0: Well, that's the the problem when you have been in public office since the early 1970s. You have a long record and people can go back and find these things. And this is where even you know Chuck Schumer has not been in public office as long as Joe Biden. But, you know, there were clips of him from 2005 saying it would be doomsday if they changed the filibuster in the Senate. So, again, it, you know, it, it always depends on, on which side is in the majority and the minority. And frankly, Republicans have been guilty of this, too. I, I mean, there were Republicans who I talked to. When Republicans had the majority and they wanted to change the filibuster to get some of President Trump's initiatives through who now don't want to change the filibuster, you know, so, this does not. I'm shocked. Shock. Right.
3: Yeah. I'm with you. Uh, hey, great, uh, great analysis, Chad, as usual. Best of luck today. We'll see that Thank vote you. come through. We know how it's going to go. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right. When we come back, your calls is Then I'll welcome in Dr. Ross. Yeah, they wanted him to stop saying doctor. Nice try.
2: Expanding your knowledge base, it's Brian Kilmeade.
3: I'm Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3
2: p.m.
0: Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com.
8: A
2: talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show.
8: As a Southerner, I'm offended. I'm insulted. THAT HE REFUSES TO RECOGNIZE THE TREMENDOUS PROGRESS MADE BY AMERICANS, NOT BY REPUBLICANS OR DEMOCRATS, NOT BY BLACK
9: FOLKS OR WHITE FOLKS,
8: BY AMERICANS COMING TOGETHER TO FIGHT FOR THE RIGHTS OF EVERY SINGLE MAN, WOMAN TO VOTE. HOW HE MISSED THE OPPORTUNITY TO SHINE THE BRIGHT LIGHT ON PROGRESS AND INSTEAD USE SOMETHING THAT HAS BEEN PROVEN TO BE UNTRUE TIME AND TIME AGAIN His being arrested.
7: It's just offensive to me as a Southerner, but more importantly, it's offensive to me as an American. We fought too hard, too long for the progress that he is denying.
3: Right. And what he's talking about being arrested is President Biden again, a story that is totally fiction, said he was arrested trying to see Nelson Mandela when he was in prison. That never happened. He never was arrested. But he keeps telling the story. One time when he was pressed on, he says, well, I wasn't arrested. I was detained or I was kept from moving forward. And then he comes back and says it again in Georgia on Tuesday. So to bring up that and make yourself some civil rights activist when you're speaking at the Grand Wizard's eulogy from the KKK, Senator Byrd, uh, it, it blows me away. And that's why it was so irresponsible. It's an insult to people who lived through Jim Crow, back of the bus, off the uh, lunch counter. That's the type of uh, what was happening in some southern states. And to say that that's the case, when you look at what's happening with the Georgia election rules, that is not authentic. It's not authentic in uh, Arizona. It's not for real, and he knows it in Texas. And gerrymandering, acting like that's new in a state legislature, can change district settings and locations. That's why Adam Kinzinger no longer has a job in Illinois. They actually gerrymandered him out of a district. That's the thanks they get for standing up on the, ni- on the January 6th committee. So that's the way it happened. Why you acting like that is now unconstitutional. When we come back, I'll talk about that with Dr. Oz. He's not worried about that. He wants to be one of two senators from Pennsylvania. And I'll have him weigh in on where we go from here with Omicron. I think in two or three weeks it's gonna it's gonna fall off a cliff, does he? Brian Kilmicho.
2: A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade.
3: Hey, welcome back, everyone. Uh, this is the Brian Kilmeade Show. i got to welcome in a guy that we always love having on, but now for the first time on radio, since he declared he wants to be the next senator from Pennsylvania, Dr. Mehmet Oz. Dr. Oz, welcome back.
10: Brian, good to be with you, as always.
3: What was the breaking point that said I'm in for you?
10: COVID. It, 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 uh, I mean, I was as you and we've talked about this. I was getting more and more upset at the crisis facing America. I was witnessing it as everyone else was, and then COVID just put it—you know—high octane, turbocharged changes that were destructive to our nation. And we started seeing—and this is not just me within medicine, although it was quite clear with COVID—but we started seeing over and over again a good ideas getting shamed and silenced and bullied and canceled. And in medicine, when you can't say what you see, people die. And with COVID, and remember, with you very early on, Brian. This is to your credit. We talked about the fact that we needed better therapeutics. Vaccines were great. God bless President Trump for Operation Warp Speed. We got things done, but you're not going to cure an illness only with prevention. If I give you a a cholesterol medication for heart disease, and you still have a heart attack. What do I do? Give you more cholesterol meds? No, I got to treat the heart attack. With COVID, we didn't do that. We just said, you know, every word out of Washington was vaccine, 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 vaccine. Their response to Omicron is vaccinate more kids. What are you talking about? And if you say something that's not aligned with with their their, uh, philosophy, then all of a sudden and you're a bad human being.
3: I saw it because hydroxychloroquine was a big thing, and you thought, let's have an intelligent discussion. Next thing you know, you're being vilified for bringing it up. And you thought, where's the study? Why, why are you guys so angry? I thought we were in this together, and now we saw what the last two years have been. So on top of that, the big mistake was made, Dr. Oz, and I am not, obviously, with this huge medical background, but we've all got competency in this now. And that is, there was no push for Pfizer to make all these, pre-make all these... Uh, therapeutics that they now have, there will be a treatment. Should we get it before the tests were okayed and it was and it was given the green light by the FDA? So what happened is now that they got it, we only have 10 million doses instead of 100 million. And now he puts another order for 10 million. That we're a nation of 300 million.
10: So let's just give a little perspective of this, I and mean, you deserve credit because you're one of the, 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 the wonderful allies that were willing to give me a platform. The reason I talked about hydroxychloroquine was because it was the only tool that doctors were using at the time. And if you remember, I, I gave a quarter million dollars to my university, Columbia University, and, and then Cuomo came in and said, "Forget, you can't give the money to Columbia because they can't do the trial." I'm banning all trials. This is America. The governor is telling a doctor and a hospital university, "You're banning trials." Then he went one step further, did something never before done banned doctors from prescribing an FDA-approved drug that, in, in this case, used a billion times around the world. So this is all going down, and I'm beginning to think, you know what's happening? They're literally rooting against therapeutics because they hate Trump. That's how much disdain they had. Just because he'd brought it up after probably seeing you talking about it with me, you know, it, it began to, to become politicized. And when you mix medicine and politics, you put them together and swirl them around, you get politics. So now fast forward. Because of that, every other therapeutic is disdained, hated. The Americans can't handle the possibility of a therapeutic. They won't get their vaccine if they know about that. I disagree. I think Americans can walk in shoe gum. So here we are two years later. The Pfizer medication was studied slower than it should. Have been. The Merck medication, the antiviral. Brian, listen to this. Two years before COVID started, they knew about that pill. It existed fully available before COVID hit our shores. We didn't study it. Merck had to go around the U.S. government to prove their pill worked. Two people per day were enrolled in the trial. And here we are two years later, to your point, not only we be just, just recently approve it with the FDA after the trials were all done, but we never greenlit these companies. We never backstop their creating enough doses for all Americans. I'm a physician. I still practice. i spent the entire holiday season trying to find antibody cocktails. Can't get them. The pills... COVID, the uh, the pills from Pfizer and Merck, big companies, FDA-approved trials, can't find them. This is America. It's just not working. You're holding my hands. You're literally handcuffing me and not letting doctors like me prescribe medications by not making them available. This is the ultimate failure of the Biden administration.
3: And it doesn't make any sense for guys like Anthony Fauci could easily greenlight this. If he ever hopped on one of his many appearances and said what you just said, things would change right away. Why doesn't he use that same power? Doesn't doesn't any logical person come to the same conclusions you do?
10: He is the J. Edgar Hoover of public health. He's a petty tyrant that has uh, had all kinds of interactions with media and uses them as allies to shut down dissent and debate, Uh, it's shameful. I know this game because I went through this years ago. I took on the U.S. government because we were allowing arsenic and apple juice to be served to our children. And the reason this is really important to understand, the government, classic, banned arsenic as a cheap pesticide in apples. So American apple farmers were unable to make their apples. The Chinese didn't have that rule. They kept making apples doused in arsenic. They sold those apples and the apple juice to American juice manufacturers who then gave it to our kids. So listen, the government bans American apple growers from doing what they were used to do. They allow the Chinese to do it, and then they allow us to import the Chinese apple juice, putting American farmers out of business, and then what happens? You're stuck with American children not being any safer, despite all this virtue signaling from the government. And now we're doing this with COVID, but on steroids. And it's infuriating. And I called, actually, I, I just posted, I'm calling Fauci out for a debate. I'm challenging. Just go head-to-head with me or anybody, frankly, on the merits of these arguments because it's indefensible that we could – this is just gross incompetence. I mean, borderline uh, malpractice that we don't have solutions for the Americans who are – their lives are being threatened. Older Americans who are vulnerable by this virus that the vast majority of people, of course, aren't. It's uh, relatively benign. But older Americans are at risk, and we cannot get them life-saving solutions that have been around for more than a year.
3: So, uh, Dr. Oz is with us now, and he's always a great guest. But now that he's running for the Senate seat in Pennsylvania, uh, that is really could decide the balance of power in the Senate. I mean, Pat Toomey barely won the last time, and we saw that Pennsylvania went to— Joe Biden in the 2020 election, and now you have somebody else you're running against, David McCormick, a former CEO of a giant hedge fund. Uh, he declared his uh, he wants to get the Republican nomination for the Senate. Uh, a West Point grad who uh, who fought in Afghanistan. So, what is your what do you know about David, uh, and are you worried?
10: I'm not worried. I'm very confident in our campaign. It's a big pull. Um, I'm glad people are jumping in. It shows that there's an interest in uh, Americans running for public office. I think one of the big changes that we're seeing is outsiders like me are giving up everything. I'm just in front. I shut my show down. Top health show in the world for 13 years. I had years more of contracts. You know how difficult it is because you Absolutely. have your name on the awning as well. Shut my show down. Shut my magazine down. <clears throat> Took care of all my employees, but I left a business that I adored, was having a good time in, and was very lucrative. But I felt compelled to enter the race because I think our country is at a crisis point. And I know we can fix it. I mean, I'm so energized by our campaign. I get to travel the entire state. I do it over and over again. You can tell I'm a bit hoarse from talking so much. <clears throat> I've been to more diners than I have in my life. But the beautiful thing about, uh, about campaigning is you hear ideas from people. They are so optimistic, so upbeat. All they want is to get the government out of their way. <laughs>
3: So I understood Uh, one of uh, one people pointing out with David is some of his uh, links to China uh, in terms of a lot of his business is done over there. Should that be something people are concerned about?
10: Well, we have survey data. We have survey data on China. And it's pretty clear to us that it's a top three concern among Pennsylvanians, because Pennsylvania is the number one state for lost jobs, manufacturing jobs, and many of them went to China. And these, fo- these folks are working their tails off, trying to make uh, uh, ends meet. And they see over and over again China undermining us. They're cheating on trade agreements. They see their jobs being literally taken offshore. They-, they don't have the raw materials to make what we used to make in America. It's the supply chain crisis that we're seeing, much of it controlled by China. And they also see, and these, these are smart people, there's an existential threat from China. And this, I mean, when I say that, it's not just that they want to compete and beat us in the economic field. They must destroy America. Because if America survives and a democracy can provide a thriving economy, what's the point of having a totalitarian state? And they know it. Unless they destroy America and show that democracy fails, the world will pick democracy. Instead, China has a totalitarian approach. It's actually. You know, working for their economy, but I think it's hollow. I think if we're strong and forceful and muscular in our approach to China, we'll be able to reveal their weaknesses, and they won't be so cavalier about threatening to take over Thailand, which makes 10% of the semiconductors in the world. It's a vital national interest to protect this country.
3: Yeah, Taiwan, you mean.
10: Uh, I meant Taiwan, uh, yeah. sorry.
3: So uh, we're talking to Dr. Oz. Dr. Oz, a couple of things going on that I find disturbing that I think would come up, and that is how American businesses sold their soul for money. And because now you can open up banks in there, because of what Donald Trump did in terms of what they were doing with trade deals, access to their markets, we need access to theirs, they need want access to ours. Uh, they have people like Ray Dahlia, maybe the, the nation's premier investor, describing China like this.
6: And then I look at the United States and I say, well, what's going on in the United States and should I not invest in the United States because other things and not our own human rights issues or other things, you know.
3: Really? He's worried about us investing when people bring up China? Listen to this even more.
6: What they have is an autocratic system. Uh, um, And uh, one of the uh, leaders described it. He said uh, that uh, the United States is a country of individuals and individualism. In China, it's an extension of the family. And as a top-down country, what they're doing is that it's that kind of like a strict parent. They behave like a strict parent.
3: Are you comfortable with a guy like Gray Dalio just describing, equating our two countries, where they're just a, like a strict parent? Do you know that they have 15 million people uh, in tents, in forced uh, in quarantine right now, let alone the people that are in concentration camps because they happen to be Muslims?
10: You know, China is a foe, and they have been since we let them into the WTO World Trade Organization 20 years ago, it was an error. Uh, I will hold them accountable. And the people of Pennsylvania, because this comes up everywhere I speak. I mean, I, as you know, Brian, since I'm, I've been on television so many years, people think they know me because I'm in their living room all the time talking to them. And so they sit down next to me at these places and just start talking to me. These are sophisticated people, waitresses, you know, folks who are working in gas stations, you know, people who are running companies. And they always have the basic idea that, which is we're not being protected. Our leaders have not been strong Enough in declaring the existential threat that China represents to us, and we have to be open about this. Look, we want to all play nice in the sandbox and get along and build a bigger world that's friendly with each other. That's not what China is doing. That's not their narrative at all. Uh, and you know, I look. My show airs in China, so you know, I, I I track all this. I'm in 100 countries. I see so many of these countries, and I've been to the, to, the, uh, to places where people say, "Please fix America," and I say, "Well, I I want I want to, but." Why? And they say, because when we have problems in our own country and we see you guys doing well in America, letting democracy thrive with, with people being able to talk to each other and, and create this incredible, brilliant uh, theme of a, of a concept, which is America, you know, strong, brave and everything. Uh, we say, you know what, like, guys, we can fix our problems because we can be like America. But if America's faltering, where's our role model? Where's that shining city on the hill? So, And it's troubling to me when I see within our country fights. I mean, listen, the the Brian Kilmeade of the podcast world, Joe Rogan, right, yeah. just gets gets attacked uh, last night by 200-plus doctors saying, you've got to de- get deplatformed, pull them off. The podcast was – uh, and I'm thinking, what are you talking about? They're, who are these self-appointed censors that hurt our country? Their position itself is anti-science. And I've just got a big dose of this. You know, every single day I'm in the New York Times is some new attack on me. This most recent attack that they've made – and I'm just going to – if you can, this is fascinating because you'll get this – The the article said, not only am I a bad person, but I'm dangerous, and here's why. I'm going to quote him. Leaders who extol individualism aren't simply ineffective, they're dangerous. Think about this. They're saying because I'm trying to empower people, give them information, it's dangerous because they argue in a world when we have climate change and structural racism and the pandemic, you don't want people being given the ability to make their own decisions. That's really dangerous. And when they try to take Rogan off because he's trying to give people open space to talk about, in this case, the pandemic, you, another good example, you give place for people to say and speak their mind. You let people see what they see. And if it happens to be something that you don't agree with because it doesn't fit your your ideology, all of a sudden, you know, take Kilmeade off, cancel Rogan, ban Oz. This is not what America is about. The world respects us because we can openly talk about stuff no matter what happens to be. We don't suppress controversial ideas. It's just because the observation is inconvenient uh, for some sanctioned narrative of these authoritarian elitists right. does not justify it being suppressed. And we're tolerating this, Brian, and they're not going to give it back to us. We don't stand up for our rights right now. Once they take this, it's not coming back.
3: True, and Rogan is on his own. He got $100 million to go to Spotify, and they don't like the interview he did with Dr. Robert Malone, who is the inventor of the mRNA vaccine patent. I listened to all three hours. What could possibly be wrong with talking to somebody like that?
10: You know, I'm a surgeon, as you know. The first thing you do when you go into a difficult operation is to see the surgical field better by using a brighter light. You focus the light. That's what you do. You, Brian. That's what Joe Rogan does. That's what I have tried to do on my show all these years. We have to do the same with our ideas. If you don't shine a light on these ideas, you suppress them. They, these controversial concepts, they, they, you get chased underground. People are still going to talk about it Absolutely. even if they don't come on your show and talk about it openly. And the irony here is – and i sort of reminded as a kid. I, I grew up in near Kenneth Square, Pennsylvania, which is the mushroom capital of the world. And we would always joke when I was a kid that humans you know, – we're not like mushrooms, right? You, we don't prosper if you keep us in the dark and feed us manure all day long that's literally what's happening to us in covid debates so many of the ideas that now are finally seeing the light of right. day like the possibility that the vex that the virus did not come up on its own right that it actually might have come out of a lab the idea that so that, that therapeutics might work which was you couldn't talk about that how much grief did you and i get how about when we were talked about Non-stop. keeping schools open right. right right i was attacked viciously right it was by, amazing by, by,
3: it's amazing, yeah, too, get, in sports. Real yeah. quick, we, were, we were eviscerated. That's why I was uh, really surprised that you jump in because it's going to bring in more uh, critics. But lastly, I only have 20 seconds. Do you want kids wearing N95 masks in schools?
10: categorically not young kids do not wear masks correctly many groups have, have said it doesn't work and no place in the world is this happening it's it's it doesn't make any medical sense at all and certainly don't tell me to do it because your parents aren't even making it hurts kids and the, and the parents aren't using their kids as shields no parent wants that
3: absolutely uh uh dr memenaz you got it's a big field uh but uh, don't underestimate your work ethic and uh, your name value and your Uh, and intellect. It's going to be a fun race. Dr. Oz, thanks so much.
10: DrOz.com. Check it out. Lots going on there.
3: You got it. 1-866-408-7669. lot going on here, too. A few in just a moment.
10: Newsmakers and
2: newsbreakers. Hear it first. Only on The Brian Kilmeade Show. The more you listen... The more you'll know, it's Brian Kilmeade. My financial disclosures
3: are public knowledge and have been so. You are getting amazingly wrong information. So uh, I I, I cannot find them. Our office cannot find them. Where would they be if they're public knowledge? Where? It is totally accessible to you if you want it. For the public. Is it accessible to the the public?
4: public? Senator Marshall... Dr. Fauci has answered you. It is public information, and he's happy to give it to you if you would ask.
1: Senator Moran.
7: What a moron. Jesus
3: Christ. So you hear what him say at the end? What a moron. Uh, And then he said that. So Roger Marshall, he tried to get it. He can't get it. When he finally got it, it was heavily redacted. Cut 34. You know, Dr. Fauci does protest too much, right? Why is he so defensive about all this? He's lied to the American public again. He's lied to Congress again. We cannot access his records. My office cannot still still cannot get them. You can't get them. Nobody can get them yet. The NIH uh, is somehow was hiding them from us. So he lied to the American public. But I just have to appreciate you talking about Hillary Clinton and deplorables. Don't you feel like a deplorable when Dr. Fauci talks down to you? When he does. And it turns out there are public records, but all the things when it comes to his investments are redacted. The thing is, is he getting investment advice? Is he in pharmaceuticals? Does that affect his decision-making? We have a right to know, don't we?
2: Live from the Fox News radio studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox & Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade.
3: Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. I'm in New York City, 48th and 6th. Uh, You are listening uh, uh, in this city and around the country and around the world, I hope. Uh, You usually are. Carly Shimkus is in at the the bottom of the hour, uh, co-host of Fox & Friends First. And Dr. Marty McCurry is standing by. We know the President of the United States is now meeting behind closed doors in Capitol Hill uh, with the Democratic Party, trying to rally them behind his voting reform. And we know too the uh, speaker of the house, as well as the rank uh, as the minority leader, Kevin McCarthy, will both have press conference today. So news will emerge out of that, along with some of the news that emerged yesterday, and that was the retort from uh, Joe Biden's bonkers speech in Georgia on Tuesday. So let's get to the big three
2: now with the stories you need to know. It's Brian's big
4: three. Number three over the coming weeks, as cases are predicted to peak in this country. While we are seeing early evidence that Omicron is less severe than Delta and that those infected are less likely to require hospitalization, it's important to note that Omicron continues to be much more transmissible than Delta.
3: Wow, fed up. That's how the Dems feel about the Biden administration when it comes to tests, when it comes to PPE, when it comes to messaging on COVID. As the president's chief medical advisor, Anthony Fauci, now on his third year of covid CONTRADICTIONS HAS LOST ALL CREDIBILITY WHILE STIRRING UP STRONG NATIONAL ANGER AND FRUSTRATION.
1: NUMBER TWO. THEY'RE RELATED, I THINK, TO INFLATION, WHICH PEOPLE ARE REMINDED OF EVERY TIME THEY GO TO THE GROCERY STORE OR BUY A a TANK OF GAS. IT'S DUE TO COVID, uh, THE DIFFICULTY, THE FAILURE TO GET COVID UNDER CONTROL. Uh, HE'S GOING TO BE FINISHING HIS FIRST YEAR IN OFFICE WITH AN APPROVAL RATING THAT IS REALLY UNDERWATER.
3: And according to Quinnipiac, is at 33%, the latest approval rating on President Biden, an unimaginably bad economy, first and foremost inflation, 45-year high, but bad enough for the Dems to bring back Hillary? It's more than a theory in today's Wall Street Journal. It might exactly be what the reeling party is planning to do. We'll explain.
5: Number one.
3: What about Senator Manchin? What about Senator Senator Sinema? I don't
5: think anyone should be absolved from the responsibility of preserving and protecting our democracy, especially... When they took an oath to protect and defend our Constitution,
3: <laughs> she did a. Horri- she's just had a horrific interview on NBC. Uh, yes, uh, agree with me or blow up the filibuster, uh, federalize elections, or you're a racist slave owner. That's the theme President Biden is pushing this week. And just says, just said, just, just let uh, suffice it to say, the blowback's been powerful and widespread. One person on board with this incoherent operation, believe it or not, Barack Obama. With me right now is uh, Dr. Marty McCary. He's a Fox News contributor, surgeon, and a professor of health policy at Johns Hopkins and author of The Price We Pay, What Broke American Healthcare." Dr. McCary, uh, right now we are in a situation where I was embarrassed to watch uh, Fauci and these Republicans spar. Did you get anything out of that testimony?
11: (laughs) Well, the one thing I was hoping for, looking forward, because, look, there's a big blame game to apply retrospectively. But moving forward, one thing Dr. Fauci and his uh, colleagues should definitely agree to is an international ban on any future gain-of-function research. And Rand Paul pressed him on that, and he would not agree to it. I mean, that to me is not only a lack of humility. And by the way, the country is hungry for humility from public health officials. But it's also also dangerous. I think we're going to let the Omicron wave settle out. And then we're going to push this hard, and that is we've got to agree to an international ban on organic function research forever in perpetuity of any kind, period.
3: You know, and there's no way China will go along with that, but it's always worth trying. Um, it's just like trying to get nuclear uh, North Koreans to give up nuclear weapons. But, uh, uh, Dr. McCary, a couple of things are going on here. There's so much contradictory uh, 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 things going on to the point where Democrats are actually questioning it. They're saying when it comes to therapeutics, why are they not— Why weren't they not manufactured ahead of time while they waited for approval, like the vaccines? Have you gotten an explanation from Pfizer or Merck on that?
11: Well, basically, our public health leaders chose not to have an Operation Warp Speed for therapeutics. That's all there is to it. They made a decision, and that's what they chose to do. They were thinking that we would not have future waves. They hedged their bet, and they got it wrong. That's all there is to it. What about
3: testing? Same thing? Hedging bets with
11: money we already gave them? Same thing, and the worst part of it now is that we probably have enough tests as is to test people adequately, except they're telling every single human being to get tested incessantly. You've got Princeton University testing their athletes three times a week. Um, A lot of colleges are doing twice a week. On the lowest risk population on Earth, they are burning through the tests that otherwise would be sufficient to test people who need to know. So I want you to hear, Dr. Wachelle Walensky,
3: on these masks. Bernie Sanders wants everybody to get three masks ma- mailed to their house. Cut 31. n 95s. Cut
4: 31. CDC continues to recommend that any mask is better than no mask. And we do encourage um, all Americans to wear a well fitting mask to protect themselves and prevent the spread of COVID 19. Um, and that recommendation is not going to change.
3: So, how, where do you stand on this? Are you for an N95 for every kid, for
11: every American? Well, Brian, I've worn an N95 a fair bit in the hospital as a physician and in the ICU. They're hard to wear. I mean, I see nurses and doctors loosen and rip them off at the end of a shift. So look, some people do really well with masks and other people struggle. I don't enjoy wearing a mask. I think if I got one sent to my home, I wouldn't use it because we're dealing with a common cold infection. If um, there's an Ebola outbreak or something new, then I might pull it out of the closet, but um the way they're clinging on to cloth masks, which, let's face it, that's the vast majority of masks that are being worn by kids in school. That's um, unbelievable. I'd love to ask Dr. Wolinsky, in your opinion, what's the size of an aerosolized COVID virus, like in terms of particulate size? Because it's about five microns, and the holes in those masks are 10 to 20 so I don't understand how when the entire scientific community recognizes cloth masks don't work and help, how they're clinging on to that guidance.
3: A couple of things. There's a big push now to have Joe Rogan's podcast brought down with uh, disclaimers or or uh, or limited or stop him entirely because he interviewed Dr. Robert Malone at uh, one point and it caused uh, I mean, I think it was the most downloaded one he is a uh, guy who has the patent for the mRNA, which I believe that is what the vaccines predicated on, and Dr. Peter McCullough, came out very critical of how we're handling this pandemic, and they get in two, three-hour interviews. Do you believe that guys like Joe Rogan are hurting public policy?
11: Look, I believe in free speech, and I believe in an open forum in science, and I, I, look, I listen to those podcasts. I come out a little differently on some things, but let them speak. I mean, these are well, what was it? Uh, what,
3: what did you have a problem with? I know it's a three hour podcast and that's a lot to say, but what stuck out where you thought that's not true?
11: Well, I think the hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin data are now in and there's no benefit, but I agree with them on a lot of stuff like fluvoxamine, nasal sprays, all kinds of stuff. And they've got concerns about the vaccines in young, healthy people. So do I, especially boosters. Now we've, we're moving on to booster mandates for teenagers. I mean, Give me a break. The FDA bypassed their own experts in order to get that approved. My teenager had to take it to get back to school. They are reducing a risk starting at zero. The risk of them dying of COVID with the regular primary vaccine series is zero. Anyone under 30, that's published. That's the New England Journal of Medicine. You can't lower the risk any further with a booster when it starts at zero. The tragedy is one in 2,000 young men is going to develop myocarditis, and we have no idea what that means long term. We're playing with fire. We're in uncharted territory with that complication. I watched the
3: CEO of Moderna say our our vaccine is really limited to zero protection against Omicron.
11: The people pushing boosters have a major scientific dilemma about to hit them, and that is the first studies of the efficacy long term of boosters are now just in, and at 10 weeks, it drops almost to zero. It drops to 35% for Pfizer and is rapidly declining at 10 weeks. So either we give a booster every three months for the rest of your life, or we recognize that your T cell immunity is sufficient to protect against uh, severe disease. Moderna has a couple major problems in store coming down the road. I don't think the CEO of Moderna is going to share with you that his own vaccine is basically banned from anyone under age 30 in some parts of Europe.
3: Interesting. He's working on a Omicron vaccine.
11: Look, if I told you there was a vaccine that's brand new, not studied long term, and it might help you reduce the risk of a common cold. Some people might say, "Okay." some people, I think, would say, no, thank you. I've got a risk tolerance different from that of Dr. Fauci. It's
3: uh, really weird. Let me ask you this, Dr. And this is diving a little deep. So when you put something like an NRA in you, I'm wondering, does the vaccine adjust? Does your body adjust? So I'm supposed to, I'm looking at my vaccine card from New York State. It expires. I didn't know it expires. It ju- I thought it just said the date that I got it. Now it says it expires in a year. Is my, are, is my body adjusting to the initial COVID-19 virus? And as the flu changes every year and we, you try to anticipate what the variant is to, to design your shot – Are we going to have to design a different shot? And is my
11: body adjusting to this period? Am I being affected? So what's happening is when you get the infection or you get vaccinated, the T cells are getting activated and they recognize both Omicron and Delta, even though the antibodies are not a perfect match with both the T cells are. So that's why you're still protected against severe illness. Um, The Kaiser Permanente Southern California study just hit yesterday it's making a lot of news and chatter in the medical community. It was a study specifically of Omicron, and they found in 52,000 people studied in Southern California with this infection, nobody ended up on a ventilator, zero. And the reductions they saw in hospitalization, I think, are even greater than what they reported in the study because they don't know if they're hospitalizations for or with COVID. And by the way, those were dramatic reductions, and, they're, and they're, so they're going to be even better, greater than that.
3: So I just saw the numbers in the New York Times. It says uh, the number of uh, deaths are up 50 percent, so they're around eighteen, nineteen hundred 1,900 a day, and cases are up over 200 percent. How do you read those numbers?
11: I think it's about half of what the numbers are showing in terms of death and hospitalizations. Then the case numbers are real, but they are real, and they spike every viral season for every viral pathogen that circulates every winter. We see that—I mean, would we report— on the news that influenza cases are up 400 percent week two over week one but that's what we see every year we see hospitals that get burdened significantly by influenza five years ago we had such a bad flu season hospitals were at their brink and that was with full staffing now add to that that one in five people in health care have left the profession that's why we've got a hospital crisis
3: and lastly i know this is a Broad question maybe a point of frustration for you, but it's one I get all the time, especially because both my daughters, to get back to school, have to, and they're both athletes, they have to get the booster after getting the vaccine. So it's unbelievable. So what do you say? Why do they keep saying to get the booster? Why, why do they keep saying that when even the CEO of Moderna, and I don't know what Pfizer
11: saying, is saying that it doesn't help? And the WHO is against boosters. Um, I think there's a vaccine fanaticism Uh, going on, Brian. And look, I want adults who have any risk factor, you know, or basically any adult who's not had COVID to get vaccinated. But right now there's a one hammer approach and it's a sledgehammer that Dr. Fauci has. And anytime any COVID news happens, be it a new variant out there or any, you know, anything going on in the COVID world, they reach for that one sledgehammer and say, more doses, more doses. And the reality is you may be doing more harm than good with a third dose in someone young. I believe if they've had COVID already, a third dose is absolutely anti-scientific and potentially uh, more risk than benefit. Right. You
3: do. have. I think it's universally agreed on once you get the if you have it, you have to wait to get a booster, even if I obviously don't think you should get one, but you should wait. I think they agree on that. Is that correct?
11: Yeah, there's probably nothing that has angered me more in this entire pandemic than when people tell me I had COVID and now I'm told I need to wait so many weeks until I get my booster. Well, if you had COVID, you don't need a booster, 100%. No doubt. I mean, <laughs> we're hurting people. We have no idea what the myocarditis risk means long-term in those people.
3: Uh, Dr. McCary is always an education. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Thanks, Brian. You got it. You can follow him at Marty McCarry. Uh, when we come back, to your calls one eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. 1-866-408-7669. We just covered a lot of ground. When you talk to this doctor, he does the research. Not only, he doesn't take the summaries, he reads the whole study. So he always is able to bring new stuff in, and you just heard that, I think, for yourself. Brian Kilmead Show. Don't move.
2: Giving you everything you need to know. It's Brian Kilmead. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
1: They're related, I think, to inflation, which people are reminded of every time they go to the grocery store or buy a, a tank of gas. It's due to COVID, uh, the difficulty, the failure to get COVID under control, uh, the feeling that we're heading into all these problems with sending kids to school and reopening businesses. I think all of that have, has combined to create a big political problem for President Biden. He's going to be finishing his first year in office. With uh, not an approval rating that is really underwater, and a real concern to those who those who support him, as well as those who oppose him.
3: Look, I, I don't I don't know that he, if he's actually thirty three percent approval rating. Quinnipiac's been brutal to him, but it's down. I mean, it's under forty. I mean, it's unbelievable. It's under forty, and this is what I mean by unbelievable. Not that his actions. Afghanistan, relations with Russia, the China thing falling apart, the economy with inflation at 7 percent, uh, the the uh, the worker participation is as low as it's ever been. We can't get people back to work, the de- destroying our, our energy resources. That doesn't surprise me that his numbers are down. What surprised me is ABC, NBC, CNN, CBS – uh, every other channel outside Fox, who doesn't get up every day trying to find things in a row, but who is just reporting accurately, that dick he, has got huge problems with his policies and his team. For him to be 33% is terrible. His uh, disapproval is 53%. 13% have no idea. But here's the devastating part. Independents have 23% approval rating. 20, excuse me, 25% disapproval. That is devastating. You cannot win, Rock, if that happens. Do you approve or disapprove of the way Joe Biden is handling the economy? Remember the economy, stupid? It continues to be the salient way to judge. That's 34% approval rating on the economy. And who, would do, who is most responsible for the rise in inflation? Uh, under Biden, right? So we know it started at 1.4% in December of 2020. You know, right now, inflation is 7%, meaning last year, if you did not get a 7% raise, you're losing money every week, every week. So I tell you about individual items, uh, you know, bacon up 18%. I could tell you that crackers bread and bread products are up 20%, baby food up 8%, but you realize that. You realize you're getting more and you have less in your account. But who's to blame Uh, 66 percent blame Joe Biden's policies for the rise in inflation, which is makes people say, is there going to be a change on the left on who they bring forward? Not Kamala Harris, because, you know, I'll play some of it today and tomorrow if I have some time. But I have Carly next. She just did a horrendous interview with NBC. And they're not trying to play gotcha. They're asking her things like, where are the tests? Why are they late? How many were you going to get? What about masks? Would you say you're behind the eight ball? You didn't anticipate all these variants. And she just has no answer, as if she just sat down from Pluto. Still. And that's after doing the L.A. Times, San Francisco Chronicle, and other TV interviews. When we come back, Carly Shimkus joins us, and I keep the dialogue going. We'll take some phone calls, 1-866-408-7669.
2: Radio that makes you think. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show.
5: In 2006, in this very town of Washington, D.C., up the street at the United States Capitol, in the United States Senate, 98 of the 100 members of the United States Senate voted in favor of an extension of the Voting Rights Act. It was not a partisan issue. It was an American issue.
0: But, Madam Vice President, how are you going
3: to get it done?
5: Well... Well, when we have the discussion about who's responsible, I will not absolve the 50 Republicans in the United States Senate from responsibility for upholding one of the most basic and important tenets of our democracy, which is free and fair elections and access to the ballot for all eligible voters.
3: Yeah, we won. Uh, Of course, Republicans ran on the premise of unfree and unfair elections. So that's where the rubber hits the road. With me right now is Carly Shimkus. I'm going to play more of that interview, which I have not heard the whole thing, but the excerpts have been just horrific. The vice president just struggles with every question. And it's laziness because everyone knows she's smart. Uh, You go to law school. You become attorney general. She knows her stuff. But she actually, I mean, smart, but doesn't know her stuff because this is just roll up your sleeves, learn it, understand it, pick up the phone, question the experts on it. Uh, Carly, the, the analogy she made is totally off base.
12: Yeah, I, I don't think that uh, it's laziness for her, though. I think it's just a complete lack of confidence. She's gotten hit with so um, many critiques, r- reasonable critiques, that I think she goes into every single interview, second guesses herself, and screws it up again. But when it comes to this voting law stuff, first of all, Uh, President Biden should be embarrassed by this speech and the person who wrote the speech on Tuesday he he gave it that person should be fired. Calling what Republicans are trying to do in terms of um, not federalizing election laws as racist is ridiculous. Racism was a very real thing in our country for a very long time. Condoleezza Rice talks about it all the time. How she grew up in segregated Birmingham, Alabama, couldn't go to a restaurant or a movie theater with uh, her parents. Fast forward to today. Compare that to what President Biden and uh, Vice President Kamala Harris was just talking about. About what a Georgia voting law that allows early voting. You can't have somebody give you food in line but you could bring your own snack that's racism and you get
3: it from poll workers you just can't get it from outside groups
12: yeah exactly so i mean i think that this was that the biden administration thought that this was going to be a great week for him that this speech was going to be his white night moment and it was going to go down in history and really it has been um a really embarrassing time for him i think that outside of the afghanistan debacle this has been the worst week for him
3: you know, there's no question it was self-inflicted too. He went there right after the Georgia Bulldogs win the national championship. He goes to Georgia, at which time he doesn't get Stacey Abrams and other civil rights groups to even show up and represent. And what I think the only person to praise him initially was Al Sharpton. And I thought to myself, is that who he's going for? Is he? Is he go? Does he feel as though in the polls reveal that the Democrats are losing the black male vote? And is that who he's going for? But to do that. You're not talking about don't use that water fountain, get to the back of the bus. You're not allowed in that lunch counter. You're not allowed to vote or you're going to be threatened. You're going to poll taxes, all part of our past. That's true. Yeah. And this is to your initial point. When you say it's Jim Crow 2.0 and knowing that we are so far from that, that is in our ancient past, almost everyone around then – is done and buried. Yeah. To think that we're going to cheapen the hell they went through by saying that we haven't made progress now, to me, I found offensive. Uh, and
12: it's just not based in reality at right. all. And that's why Kamala Harris can't answer that question. That she was. Uh, asked how you're going to get it done Uh, the reason is because if she was if there was really a racial issue in this of course Republicans would be on board but they're looking at the reality of the situation and saying we're talking about federalizing election laws I mean that completely destroys the federalist system that we live in where states have rights they can make their own election laws if people couldn't vote in this country easily people would be marching in the streets have you seen anybody doing that absolutely not because everybody can vote very easily
3: yeah and what happened is you're reigning in the pandemic rules that were loosened up because we're in the middle of an emergency once in a lifetime or three lifetimes uh, situation. But here's the deal. You can vote early. Uh, you can vote absentee, but you have to ask for the ballot. And by the way, I was straightened out by the secretary of state yesterday, Raffensperger who joined us. And he was the one of the people I asked, are you offended? He says, I don't get offended. He goes, I, especially after the last time I don't get offended. Having said that, he said, no, no, I, we never just mailed out ballots to everyone. They always had to be requested. But we did signature match. Now they're going to say write the last four digits of your social security number or write your license number. And the numbers that say to bring voter ID is okay is between 70 and 85 percent nationwide. Yeah,
12: I know. We're talking about such minute things, too, right? You're talking about signature match versus this and that and that. um, uh, voter ID laws that make so much sense. It is so weird to vote in New York City and just say your name and somebody say, okay, go over there. It's like, we, I didn't have to prove who I was. That's, now you're It's gonna, wild. But, do,
3: but how about this, Carly? They're probably going to ask you for your vax card. Co-
12: well, and course. then they're
3: going to say no ID necessary oh my to vote.
12: I um, Did you hear Mitch McConnell's speech yesterday? I thought yes. it was spot on. And he mentioned that. He said the president implied things like wildly popular voting ID laws. They are wildly popular as being quote totalitarian, and he said ironically on the same day, the Washington D.C. Democratic mayor told citizens to bring both a photo ID and green green card anytime they leave their house to prove that they're vaccinated. It's unbelievable,
3: right? Uh, and he did talk about that. I want to play that, but also what I did is wrote down some of the things that uh, Georgia is now requiring. Now here is uh, the this is how outrageous. Uh, what George is doing. Uh, we also have the game plan for today, which I also put down a uh, couple of things. And by the way, on that speech yesterday, among the people who agree with you, Senator Dick Durbin, the number two uh, senator in the Senate on the Democratic side, said far. that President Biden may have gone a little too far. And he went on to say, yes, the speech was stark. I will concede you that point.
12: It's embarrassing,
3: right? Of course, it was embarrassing. Okay, on absentee voting, I mentioned on early voting, the legislation will uh, will expand early voting for hours in most cases, Monday through Friday, voting from nine to five. Now, you can also, if you decide that you want to extend those hours in your district, you can do that. They're also allowing one or two days of Sunday morning voting and Saturdays. On both Saturdays, they are allowing early voting. Drop boxes are now part of the law. But there's one per 100,000 on average, not one on every block, because they want to make sure they could secure it. What is the big deal about that? I don't understand. And a new rule that affects both in-person and early voting... And election day voting would prohibit anyone except poll workers from handing out water to voters online, and outlaw the passing of food and water to voters within 150 feet. That's just normal. Do you want someone walking up and go, "If you vote for Democrat, here's a pizza"? It's
12: so stupid. They're doing this for two reasons. One is that obviously they wanted positive news coverage by by and large. The, the, what is the media like? It's been 90, negative. Ninety five percent Democrats. So whenever uh, Democrats usually talk about voting rights. Uh, they get a lot of positive attention. I think the media is doing a disservice by calling it voting rights. How many times have you read an article where you hear Stacey Abrams being called a champion of voting rights or she's a, a voting a voting rights activist and. Um, Everybody is a voting rights activist. It's not just her. It's not a Democrat issue. There's no, like we're saying, everybody can vote in this country. So they're doing it for uh, to increase his poll numbers, which are very bad. The other reason I think is because they know that um, the midterm elections are going to go really, really poorly for them. So because um, they're going to do so bad, they're going to blame it on um, states not federalizing election laws.
3: I mean, were you astounded at the 33% approval rating, 39% approval handling yeah. the pandemic? When he got elected, it was 70. Then it dropped to 58. Now it dropped to 50. But it's all earned.
12: Yeah. Quinnipiac's polls are always really bad for President Biden. I don't, I don't know I don't know if that's yeah, going to be an they, outlier poll. or right. I, Maybe five points out. Quinnipiac, by the way, I went to, so not criticizing my alma mater. Q. Um but, The uh, sleeping
3: giant, yeah, that the big sleeping, mountain. I
12: know. I've climbed it many a time. Have you really? And, uh, yes. Um, but... Uh, yeah, his poll numbers are terrible, 33 percent, according to Quinnipiac, 39 percent on on COVID. Like you said, you knew that that number was going to go down. But I really think that the most interesting um, Quinnipiac poll number that came out was how well he's doing with Democrats, 75 percent. So the difference between President Biden and President Trump, because Trump's poll numbers were bad, too, is that he always had about 90 percent Republican support. Um, Democrats um, are starting to go sour on and, President Biden. And in so are
3: independent. So. Vice President Harris needs to step up if she doesn't want to be replaced by Hillary Clinton. Let me ask you if this is smooth. For example, it's pretty clear when she met, was honest and said, we did not anticipate the Delta variant and this new variant. And the president kind of indicated by mistake, he said that. That's why he doesn't go to these press conferences. Then she's asked about tests. Like, why don't you have more tests? Listen to this.
10: The 500 million tests that have been ordered that are going
5: to be sent to every, every American, do we know when those are going out? Shortly. though They're going to go out shortly. They've been ordered. They've been ordered. We, I have to look at the current information. I think it's going to be I, by next week. But soon. Absolutely soon. And it is a matter of urgency for us.
7: Should we have done that sooner?
12: We are doing
5: it.
7: But should we have done it sooner?
5: We are doing
12: it. Yeah, I mean, what else is she going to say? It was a total fail. Um, yes, of course, they should have done it sooner. I do think that there is a overtesting situation in this country right now. I don't think that everybody who walks into who an office building should be Donald getting Trump. tested. He said, it's enough testing. Yeah, chill with the testing, people, because you're testing people. They're asymptomatic. They're totally fine. Uh, Thank God this is becoming more like a flu or you're going to be completely asymptomatic. Rochelle Walensky just posted something on Twitter. If I could bring it up. Oh, my gosh, I have it right on my phone right now. She posted this uh, today or no, yesterday. She said, new study on severity of those infected with the Omicron variant compared to Delta variant. She says... 43% 43% less risk of symptomatic hospitalization, 74% less risk of ICU admission, and 91% less risk of death. Zero Omicron patients require medical ventilation. Zero. I mean, hello? This is this is the evidence right now. They're finally catching up to reality when it comes to Omicron. This is a very, very good thing that's happening right now.
3: Right now, what's also happening, the president of the United States is saying it again. He's speaking. We'll pull it shortly. That this is a pandemic of the unvaccinated. He's frustrated by the high numbers of the hospitalizations. Does he know how many breakthrough cases there are? Yeah. Does he know that the CEO of uh, of Moderna just came out and said my vaccine is offers very little protection against the Omicron variant? Did he also say the booster very limited benefit? By the way, I think it's none. But McCary thinks it's McCary thinks it's none too. So. He is actually sitting there. His staff let him go out there and say this is a pandemic of the unvaccinated again. Do yep. you
12: believe that? There you go. It's happening. It's happening once again. Uh, they're playing the blame game. There was an article um, that was recently written uh, by, uh, was it in the New I can't remember what publication it was in, what, Very New Yorker maybe. And the, the columnist was saying that people should criticize, actually point and laugh and criticize people who die of COVID who are unvaccinated. That's the opinion of the... Uh, all loving left in this country right now.
6: Yeah,
3: it's incredible. But by the way, uh, Curly, I keep saying this over and over again because it seems like the easiest thing is that if I walk out there as a president and even though I'm, I'm a lot brighter than this guy and now we've all gone to school over the last two years, I would not be out there without my epidemiologist, without my medical team, without my expeditions team, the the Mike Pence of this, the Admiral Juror of this administration – I would have them with me because I don't know every detail on the millions goes out. I don't know what the problem is. And you know something else? It humanizes you. Because we all have people in our family, we ask to do stuff they don't, and they say, and after a while, when you step, when this, when, when he or she steps up and they have no answers, you go, you're gonna have to replace this guy Zaitz, yeah, because Zaitz is not being able to expedite any of this stuff. He's not doing anything he was supposed to do. He did not pre-order this. The, the epidemiologist Dr. Fauci, all these experts, the CDC, the FDA did not anticipate this variant. Therefore, the tests weren't ordered. So if you can't stop it, at least prepare to test for it. Maybe. Yeah. And then the whole thing on masks, so, excuse me, on the masks mailing. Uh, today, one of the questions would be Senator Bernie Sanders. He says, I want to mail three N95 masks to every family. So if I'm president, you know what I would say? I am not sure that that is practical, but I want you to meet my HSS secretary. Is that practical? What would be the benefit of that? So I'm a leader, but I'm not an expert. Why do they stick him out there by himself? The uh, least equipped he, person to I do it. I don't
12: even know if he's taking questions right now, though, is he? He's probably just giving a speech. And Do you that's know why uh,
3: Pete if he's, he's it, so he's reading this and, and did he say it's a it's a pandemic
4: of the unvaccinated? Yeah, yeah he's upset about the hospitalizations rising, and it says mostly unvaccinated.
12: Well, but the other thing about hospitalizations that we know is that a lot of people are going into the hospital for something else, and then they're testing positive for COVID asymptomatically, and then that's counted as a hospitalization. And that it's just that completely—that's uh, not the right picture of where we are in this country when what it comes about, to COVID.
3: What about the story over the weekend on the comorbidities? We have a number of eight hundred thirty-five thousand dead. What if it's half? I know. What if it's a third? And if you see this, and I will go to break with this. We have so much to talk about. It's been too long, Carly. Uh, we watched the total clampdown of 15 million people in China. Obviously, we don't want any part of that. We watch a, a population in the Netherlands, 85% vaccinated. Do you know what they have in common? They're surging. Cases yeah. are surging. The hospitalizations are surging. Uh, there are uh, There are deaths, not surging, but adding. And do you know in this country with Omicron – uh, Dr. McCary just said zero people are on ventilators.
12: Yeah, that's so, what – exactly. And yeah. we're finally learning the, the reality of the situation. Rush Walensky said that 75% of people who died with COVID had four right. comorbidities. Four. Uh, in
3: the study, they uh, Eric looked it up. I pay him extra every time he looks up a study, so he's always looking to do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, over 1,000 people, 36 had it, 75% had four comorbidities. But those these are the types of studies that we blow up and make policy on. I'm going to pull back what Joe Biden's meandering through right now, um, and we're going to analyze this when we come back. Carly Shimkus has been booked for the whole hour. Don't move.
2: It's Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news. Unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show.
1: Our right. grocery store shelves are empty. If you want a new car, you have to wait six months. If you want to sell your used car, you can get a lot of money for that. But then what do you drive? Because there's nothing else on the lot that's available right, right. now. I, we are seeing it across the
12: board, and people are tired of it. Democrats and Republicans are tired of it.
3: I don't want to throw you off, but cantaloupe is the most overrated fruit. Nobody says, give me more cantaloupe. When you get fruit caught, my wife but does it. But the least, the least, wife, a, but the least attractive, it, Brian. the least attractive thing in a in a fruit melody, is the no. cantaloupe. It's really? filler. fruit melody. No more. Yeah. What
1: about honeymoon? I mean, the, the honeydew melon. You no like? No big deal. You like honeydew it's better all than marketing.
3: cantaloupe? marketing. Nobody is it. Do you know mm. anybody? You you say your wife loves melon more than anything else? Cantaloupe.
7: Brian, Listen, you just Brian, want to eat in everything store, you need in to powder form. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and if it's really if it's really sweet, then you have a good cantaloupe. You've just not had a good cantaloupe.
12: Seven
3: Eleven doesn't have good cantaloupe.
12: No, no, right.
3: no. You okay. have to get at
12: the grocery store in in the springtime. I'll bring you one.
3: All right. Still overrated. <laughs> I got to take you shopping someday. I'm just saying. It. Nothing's on the All shelf. Right. Carly Shimkus is here. Am I right, Carly? I,
12: I wish that we could have a cantaloupe debate, but you're abs- I 100% agree with you. You, you do? absolutely So I did right. not know you did. I have thought about this before, independently from this conversation. Have you ever gotten a bagged lunch before? It's like a sandwich, yeah. whatever, and there's a fruit cup in it? Yeah. I, have, I actually have... Um, cantaloupe guilt because i never want the fruit cup because it's all cantaloupe i hate it and then i'm like well that's the only healthy thing i have to eat it so i eat it first i don't like i do not like cantaloupe either i think it's it is it's tr- like the lettuce of a fruit salad it is just a it's just, it must be the cheapest thing because they have it it's the most and it's so boring
3: well you know it's, it's interesting because gavin uh, had the vice president of mornings he drilled down there and further. He said the lack of consistency. One time you have melon, it's soft. Next time it's juicy. The next time it's not. Yes. Sometimes it's yellow. And is there a difference between cantaloupe and melon? It's so subtle. Should we even have two names? I
12: completely agree. Remember, with you.
3: it's cantaloupe. Uh, yeah. I don't eat this. Yep. Can't you can't like this? I
12: couldn't agree with you more. Lope, don't do
3: on, it. lope on your own. <laughs>
2: From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade.
3: Hi, everybody. Brian Kilmeade coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. I'm so glad you're here. A lot going on. The minority, uh, the minority leader Kevin McCarthy's have a presser today. Speaker uh, Pelosi has a presser today. There's going to be a vote today on uh, moving forward on voting. Uh, you know, nationalizing uh, election laws and this John Lewis bill coming out of the House, which will hopefully die an ugly death in the Senate, along with the, the, the uh, attempt to get rid of the filibuster. But also we just had President of the United States speak. And I have not heard this yet, but I'm trying to read the, read the closed caption and uh, it is going to drive you nuts. So let's get to the big three.
2: Now, with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three.
4: Number three. Over the coming weeks, as cases are predicted to peak in this country, while we are seeing early evidence that Omicron is less severe than Delta and that those infected are less likely to require hospitalization, it's important to note that Omicron continues to be much more transmissible than Delta.
3: Dr. Walensky, well, I'm fed up. How the Dems uh, feel about the Biden administration when it comes to their tests, they're not happy. When it comes to PPA, they're not happy. Messaging on COVID, they're not happy. And so are you are not happy. In fact, the latest poll, 39% approve of the president's handling of something he got elected on, and that is handling the pandemic. And now Anthony Fauci sparring a third round with various Republican lawmakers. This has got to stop, and it's not helping anybody.
1: Number two. They're related, I think, to inflation, which people are reminded of every time they go to the grocery store or buy a a tank of gas. It's due to COVID, uh, the difficulty, the failure to get COVID under control. Uh, He's going to be finishing his first year in office with an approval rating that is really underwater.
3: And that's why people are saying Hillary Clinton's queued up to try to get the nomination. 33%. 33%. That is the Quinnipiac approval number. An unimaginably bad economy. First and foremost, inflation, a 45-year high. It's more than a theory that Hillary Clinton will run or that Joe Biden won't, we'll discuss.
6: Number one.
3: What about Senator Manchin?
11: What about Senator Sinema? I
5: don't think anyone should be absolved from the responsibility of preserving and protecting our democracy, you especially... When they took an oath to protect and defend our Constitution.
3: And by the way, how, much, how tempted is she to say, excuse me, excuse me, I would like to finish, but she doesn't because it's a friendly interview with a friendly network who's also fed up with the fact that the vice president of the United States has no answers. Agree with me or blow up the filibuster. federalize elections or you're a racist who wants to own slaves. That's the theme President Biden is pushing this week. And let's just say the blowback has been powerful and widespread. One person on board with his incoherent operation. Believe it or not, former President Barack Obama. Joining me now to discuss this. The mandates in New York, some of the warring that's going on with Nassar County and the governor's mansion, Seth Barron, managing editor of American Mind, author of The Last Days of New York," a Reporters True Tale. Uh, you also see his columns all around. Seth, welcome back.
9: Oh, thanks, Brian. Right. It's great to be on.
3: Hey, uh, uh, Seth, first off, uh, I was so encouraged and hopeful with Eric Adams, and I still am to a degree, but the fact he won't call out. His district attorney, who promises to be soft on crime, the fact that he is going to acquiesce and support letting non citizens vote in municipal elections, uh, the fact that he said that the reason he needs his brother as security is because of the rise of, right, the rise of white supremacy, those three things really made me think we might be in, in for it.
9: Um, <clears throat> listen, Brian, I, I think that these were all signaled uh, early on, back in July. Uh, Eric Adams said that there was no difference on critical justice, criminal justice reform between him and Alvin Bragg. Uh, He said that he was totally. He said that? I did not know that. Yes. Yes, he did. Uh, Well before the election. So New Yorkers knew what they were getting. Eric Adams has a long history of, uh, you know, look, he was in the police. He was on the police force. He became a captain his entire career. Was built on fighting the police, and you know, saying that they were racist. He participated in a lawsuit to end stop, question, frisk. Um, he, you know, he, he, he's he's a cop, but he, uh, it's not clear where his heart really is. Uh, so, you know, I, I don't. I, it's it's very it's very troubling. Uh, he has a long, long history, and it's not a great record. I mean, back in he became Al Sharpton's like security guy, and he said that he was not going to let a black leader be assassinated by racist elements in the NYPD. Now, there aren't there there were no like racist death squads in the NYPD going around killing black leaders. He has a long history of making these like off the wall comments that nobody ever really called him uh, on, especially in the election.
3: Well, my hope was is that he would see how unsuccessful de Blasio was and how unsuccessful and unpopular these policies are, and he would adjust. And he called himself a reasonable Democrat. And he says he is the template to save the party in the midterms. I mean, he's you know, putting the undercover, the plainclothes uh, um, crime unit back together, I think is a pretty good start. Visiting a lot of these uh, police stations, I think is a pretty good start, Correct.
9: Yes, yes. Look, I, all, all of that's fine. But, you know, there's another thing where it goes beyond the individual. Uh, the last eight years of uh, reform in New York City have essentially dismantled the, the, the mechanisms of public order. Uh, in addition to getting rid of stop-question-frisk and putting the NYPD under a federal monitor, there's been state changes to bail reform and discovery. Uh there's the Right to Know Act, where police are required to inf- proactively inform uh, people that they're, that, they're, that they're stopping, that they have the right to walk away, uh, that they don't have to cooperate with a the search. Um, there's a whole host of other things, too, like decriminalization of minor crimes, like jumping the turnstile, urinating in public, loitering in a park, all of these, which, which always served as good tools for, for policing. They've systematically dismantled all of this. So even if Eric Adams was a super efficient, super dedicated crime fighter, it's not clear that that he would be able to do much because they've they've essentially, you know, soiled the soiled the pot for him.
3: A couple of things. The police commissioner seems to be on our side, who is against crime and criminals. Uh, And it seems as though that agrees with the the most constituents in New York City. I think things have changed a lot in the last two years that maybe Eric Adams might have the momentum to rein this guy in. He won a low turnout uh, election. He got a million dollars from George Soros' group. Do you sense the blowback has been stronger than Bragg was even expecting?
9: Yeah, uh, Bragg is kind of taken aback. He doesn't understand. Um, he, as far as he's concerned, and, you know, he's right. He, he didn't lie. He told everybody exactly what he planned to do. And you know he was elected, so from his perspective, this is just this you know this is this blowback is is inappropriate because you know he did tell everyone he was going to you know stop enforcing, uh, he was going to not press charges on all kinds of minor crimes that that having an illegal gun wasn't necessarily going to you know result in charges that. He didn't want to put anyone in jail except for murderers and rapists and, like, you know, public officials who committed corruption. So, yeah, I, I, in a way, I kind of feel sorry for the guy. Like, this is what he ran on. It's just that nobody pays attention.
3: Yeah, I don't feel sorry for him. Let's look at a couple of things that happened. Uh, two Manhattan drivers were carjacked in less than an hour. And they were talking about this horrible area of New York, 55th and Broadway. I'm being sarcastic. Two carjackers. Then you have the horrific shooting at the Burger King where this guy comes in, uh, puts a pistol, whips a customer, uh, punches the female manager, and kills the 19 year old behind the counter. The cops have offered $10,000. Uh, so this is just some of the ugly crime that's happened. I'm not saying crime was zero under Bratton and Kelly, but they, this was not tolerated. I get the census is tolerated.
9: Well, yeah, I, I think that from the progressive point of view, this is like this, this is what this is the trade off, and it's an acceptable trade off. You know their whole perspective is to give the benefit of the doubt to every criminal, every like person with a knife and a grudge, and to you know to operate from this service centric point of view. like how can we offer more services to people? How have we failed to provide services and resources to people and, and we force them into this position? Uh, you know, it, it's, it's kind of a, it's a long dark road because there's no end to it. Uh, and it, it doesn't lead anywhere good. But this is the perspective that's kind of, you know, in charge now. Uh, I agree that there does seem to be, uh, less, um, appetite for it. And there are pe- you know, people are kind of speaking up who, who want to see safe streets again. But, you know, institutionally, This has a lot of uh, momentum behind it. Like, people are hoping that the governor will remove Alvin Bragg. That's not going to happen.
3: And that'll never happen. Right, because it's uh, Democrat, Democrat anyway. uh, Kim Fox in, uh, you have Kim Fox in Chicago, Larry Krasner in Philadelphia, Chessa Bodine in San Francisco, uh, that lunatic in uh, the DA over in Los Angeles. And then you have one in uh, exactly like this, another. George Soros protege in Houston,
10: mm-hmm. uh,
3: Harris County, I think it is, and they all have the same thing. It's criminal first, empty the prisons, uh, and make sure minorities are taken care of, to, even if it makes, uh, it makes people unsafe in the streets. My sense is it's going to be a bloodbath in 2022 because it's really hard. You could be anti-Republican, but it's hard to be pro-crime. And people are you are actually voting for criminals if you vote for these people to stay in power.
9: Look, I mean I, I, I agree with you, but Krasner <clears throat> he won re election, like handily, in a city where the, the murder rate has gone like to historic highs. And as far, he said, look, we don't have a crime problem in Philadelphia.
3: He walked it from back
9: perspective, okay, but you know, from, from the progressive perspective, it's not clear that crime is a problem. The problem is, you know, punishment. The problem is laws and police and prosecutors. So, look, George Soros is a genius. Like, let's turn the, you know, let's put the, the let's make all the poachers gamekeepers, um, you know, take over these DA offices and just gut them. I, I don't know why nobody ever thought of that before.
3: Because you know, not, many, not many billionaires are anti-American. Uh, this guy <laughs> yeah, is anti-American. <laughs> Seth, a couple of things. Do you believe the Republicans, for example, in New York City have mounted any type of solid opposition from a base that might be able to make a difference in some of these elections? People forget that Mike Bloomberg got elected as a Republican and Rudy Giuliani twice, correct?
9: That's true. Uh, The thing is, it's over 20 years since Mike Bloomberg was first elected. Um, You know, I think the city's changed a lot. I think a lot of the, uh, like, the old-time sort of, you know, blue-collar Democrat types who might vote like Reagan Democrats. Most of them have moved out or or, or died. Um, you know, we saw some positive stuff happening in the the, the city council, where in some you know uh, purple districts, Republicans got elected. I, I think citywide, it's it's going to be a really really tough. Uh, it'll, it'll be a really tough fight. I, I the Republican Party is is, you know, pretty much struggling. In New York uh, City? Yes, absolutely.
3: So Long Island, we have this little battle going on now with Nassau County. For people around the country listening, Nassau County is huge, uh, and it's got a lot of money, and it went Republican, and Bruce Blakeman takes the mantle now, and he says, I am not going to enforce the governor's mask mandate. And the <laughs> governor came across and said, anybody in, in Nassau County, uh, any of the officers not wearing masks will be removed. So how does this turn out?
9: Look, I mean, the the, the Democrats statewide are going to face some problems. Uh, Nassau County, Suffolk County, upstate—you know, th- th- there's going to be there's going to be bloodshed for some of them. Um, I, I I don't know. I mean, is, does Hochul really have the? The, the like the the stones to to go in there and start like firing officers. I I I think it would be a really I think you'd you have a lot of blowback uh, on the party in the in the state house. You know maybe some congressional races even. Uh,
3: you're gonna have to update your book. No one really anticipated the fall, this precipitous fall of Governor Cuomo. He has beaten a lot of these sexual uh, harassment claims in court, and he's going to fight back against those who want to take back his five million dollars he got for publishing that bad book. Uh, and one of the worst-time books releases in the history of the world. So now he's lost his career. He's trying to fight for his, his uh, dignity and for his $5 million. Does he have a comeback in him? Would you rule that out? I, you
9: know, I, I really wouldn't. I, I think he's going to, you know, kind of step back, reposition himself, and, you know, we'll see what happens statewide. But, you know, I think that the thing with Cuomo is a lot of people in the state really still like him. And they see it as what happened to him as some kind of weird, like palace coup that Tish James orchestrated, and you know it—it's it, it, kind of baffling to people because they still think of him as as like this heroic figure who led us through the through the crisis. And you know, it's—it's I, honestly, it's still a mystery to me. Uh, yeah, I mean, he, he's beating all of these these. Uh, Sex charges, which kind of seemed trumped up to begin with, I don't think they're going to manage to claw back his his book money either. I mean, it sounds like it was legal, so I don't know what the basis for that would be. Well, using his you know, using
3: using uh, city workers to do the freaking book uh, during, yeah. during work time, but
9: well, yeah, but you know, they have state work city and state workers are constantly going out and doing politicking. You know, that basically the whole month before an election, they all, like, stop working and just work on campaigns. I mean, this is, like, so standard. If they were going to start going after him for that, they'd have to go after everybody.
3: Seth, it's I- fascinating to talk to you because you go inside the story and you know all the players. Uh, Seth Barron, pick up his book, The Last Days of New York, a reporter's true tale, and he told us who, who our mayor really is. Uh, I hope he reformed, but he knows, uh, and and words don't lie. Seth, thank you. Thanks, Brian. You got it. 1-866-408-7669. We'll come back. I'll take your calls. And then we welcome in Charles Payne to make sense of inflation. I'm against it. Is that all right to say?
2: The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
7: As I've said in the last two years, please wear a mask. If you're in a, you know, I, I think it's part of your patriotic duty. It's not that comfortable. It's a pain in the neck. But... I've taken every action I can as president to require people to wear masks in federal buildings and on airplanes and trains because they're internet they cross state lines.
3: What is he even talking about? Did you edit that? Because he just totally changed thoughts
7: nope, in the middle. Straight through.
3: Again, he goes on. Does he does do we have another soundbite? This is a press conference he just had. So again, to wear mask to have a press conference about this and tell me to wear a mask, I want to strangle somebody.
7: Listen this is a pandemic of the unvaccinated and i mean by this right now both vaccinated and unvaccinated people are testing positive but what happens after that could not be more different if vaccinated people test positive they're overwhelmingly have either no symptoms at all or they have mild symptoms and if they're if you're unvaccinated if they test positive there are you are 17 times more likely to get hospitalized as a result they're crowding our hospitals, leaving little room for anyone else who might have a heart attack or an injury in an automobile accident or any injury at all. And yes, the unvaccinated are dying from COVID-19.
3: Now, let me just say this. 62% of the country overall is vaccinated. Uh, over 70% over 12 years old are vaccinated. Netherlands, 85% are vaccinated. They're all experiencing a surge in hospitalizations and everything like that. How we could continue to update us and tell us nothing new is stunning.
2: The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
3: What did you get wrong? What did economists writ large get
7: wrong? And how should Americans, why should Americans be confident when you say prices are going to get better later this year? So I think that if we look at
0: the situation earlier in the year, um, uh, a number of projections and forecasts have come
7: uh, out differently than we anticipated. Um, uh, if, you, if you look at employment, for example, uh, virtually nobody was projecting that we would see unemployment fall as quickly um, as, it, as it has um, and get to 3.9 percent by the end of this year.
3: Yeah, yeah, that was the one thing he pointed out. Yeah, a lot of things were better than I thought. Um, you know, I should have been shouldn't have been so pessimistic. Oh, yeah, did I mention inflation? It went from 1.4% to 7%, highest since 1982. But let's focus on unemployment as opposed to labor force participation, which is lower than any time in my lifetime. None of this is new news to Charles Payne. He does it for a living, crunches the number like nobody else. He's the host of Making Money with Charles Payne. Also, you see him with filling in all over the channel, especially for Neil. Charles, welcome back.
8: It's great to be back. Happy New
3: Year, Brian. Same to you. Uh, Brian D's. I, I thought he, he's an approachable person, uh, not condescending. But he's in a trouble situation. What's the what numbers disturb you the most? Worry are you the most?
8: Golly, I, 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 took, I took a whole sheet of notes. I was filling in for nil. I was writing all these notes. I should have just went off, but it wasn't my show, so I chilled out. I, I did post them on Twitter, and people told me I have the handwriting of a, of a psychopath, but that's a different st- story. Uh, let's start with the unemployment rate because that's a speech's uh, uh, metric. It is so disingenuous. You know, when people leave the labor force, they're no longer counted, and that makes the unemployment rate go down. Now, if we had the system where people were coming in the labor force, and the rate was going down, it would be a much better metric. So to your point, you're right labor participation pre-pandemic was 63.4%. Now it's 61.9%. So yeah, the unemployment number is down, but you actually have fewer people working. You have fewer people in the labor force. So, oh, by the way, wages are up, but when you take into account inflation, they're down 2.4%. So imagine being up 7% versus being down 2.4%. So even taking the employment job picture, they are being so disingenuous. And here's THE REAL BOTTOM LINE, THESE ARE RECOVERED JOBS. So far, we haven't, we haven't created one, not one single new job, not one single new net job pre-pandemic. Let's go ahead and find jobs for these other two or three million people, some say even four million, who had a job pre-pandemic before you start running these victory laps.
3: So when I ask you the inflation, nobody wanted inflation to go up, but Larry Summers points to the rescue plan of $1.9 trillion. He said it was totally unnecessary. It fueled it. Do you believe it fueled it?
8: Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's, and by the way, they say a picture's worth a thousand words. So look at a couple of months ago at some of the photos of those uh, ships off the coast of Los Angeles, the port of Los Angeles. That's what you got. Uh, You got People pointing and clicking, they got that money, they started pointing and clicking, and they started, all that money went to to, to China, they put all the stuff people ordered on boats, they shipped it over here, we never had that kind of log jam before. The, the prices are going through the roof. It is absolutely amazing. Scarcity of products, a uh, trillion dollars. You start – I mean, the, the the kind of money we're talking about is so mind-boggling, But and I think this is – it's so interesting because Larry Summers is milking this moment because he got it right. It's been a long time since he's got anything right. right. Uh, but he did warn them, and I think that's the most important part. He did ask, it. it wasn't something he said after the fact. Um, so they had a chance not to do this. We put over $5 trillion into the economy. Initially, it was needed because you shut it all down. Coming into this year, household balance sheets were as strong as they've ever been, ever. You know, there are a couple of ways of measuring uh, disposable income after you paid your bills. It's be, it's 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 been it's we've never been this be, and, and, and good a shape before. Savings rate at one point was twenty six percent. I mean, we've never had a savings rate of twenty six percent. We were flush, corporations were flush. That was just to buy votes. And you know what? Normally, it works. You know, if you look back now in all the polls before that last slug, that almost two trillion dollars, it favor it was favorably rated. Right? People are like what the heck? Who, who would have thunk it? What average non economist would have thunk? Free money. Even free money uh, can have its limits. You know, it's like saying, ultimately, if you eat too much chocolate cake, it can backfire on you, right? Uh, And and that's exactly what happened. Now people know better. You know, all of the polls before this infrastructure bill was rammed through, and now this other bill that President Biden still would like to get through, people are saying, and I'm talking these are CNN, Washington Post kind of polls, that the next one will crush my family. Uh, And so a lot of folks became economists the hard way.
3: So energy prices are going up: propane, kerosene, firewood up 33 percent year to year; gasoline, fifty fifty percent. Wow! Electricity up six point three; utility gas service 24 percent. So John Casabatidis, who owns refineries and just about everything else, he also is he's got that tough job of trying to load up his uh, shelves and gristedes. So he's on the ground floor in so many different industries. He actually owns WABC. He said this that could help. Cut twenty two.
7: If we turned on. The gasoline and the crude oil from Canada and from Alaska, I bet you, I bet you the crude oil will go down to $55, $60 a barrel yeah. in the next 69 days. That will solve
11: the inflation problem.
7: Do you agree with that calculus? Yeah, well, I got
8: two answers, hell and yes. Um, You know, and by the way, when did oil start going up? November 3rd, November 4th, immediately the day after President Biden was elected, uh, he announced his war on fossil fuels. And and again, economics 101, you have the less you have of something and there's still demand for it. uh, The price goes up in this particular case, as economies around the world began to reopen, demand went even higher. Here we are, uh, after two or three decades of trying to create this shell revolution, where we were able to revitalize our oil and gas industry, become energy independent, President Biden went to war against that. This is the this is perhaps the craziest. I mean, he's made a series of really awful mistakes. This is one of the worst because it was one of this, the ultimate unforced era, and it's not just gasoline you put in your car. You know, any yeah, you know, we're all using plastics right in the age of COVID. That comes from that comes from fossil fuels, petroleum. I mean, it's just the list is, it's so nuts. It was one of the worst. Worst self-inflicted wounds I, I can imagine that you come out the gate and the first thing you do is you say I'm going to take action. That's going to that's going to be the ultimate uh, inflationary thing. It's going to listen. The poorer someone is, the more and you got to drive to work. Uh, you know, the more likely this is going to damage our household incomes. And he always talks about families sitting around the kitchen table and discussing finance. This is always at the top of the list. He made this. This is 100% in President Biden's lap. And here's the bro- sad thing: instead of listening uh, to the cats. The katsimatidis he's begging opec to, to to produce more oil in russia imagine that
3: yeah uh, charles Payne, our guest host of making money you hosting for neil today yes all right so we'll see you at four o'clock too on the news channel so i uh, would two two big guys big pictures uh here's jamie Dimon. he's this is what he told maria about the health of the economy
7: i just would expect that you can have a lot of volatility in the market this year but you're gonna probably have a pretty strong economy which is you know maybe more important for most americans that consumer has a lot of money and business has a lot of money they're spending it confidence levels are going up jobs are plentiful wages are going up probably whether for the first time in my life there's huge pressure and wages and people this will be one of the strongest economies we have ever seen in 2021 and 2022 will probably be pretty good too
3: do you do you know where he's coming mm-hmm. at coming from with this optimism
7: You know, and like I said,
8: uh, coming into 2021, that was my whole pitch, too. That was my pitch to people who were on the fence about being in the market. And, and, you know, uh, I I think he's 100 percent right if we were having this discussion last January. I I don't know about right now. You know, that savings rate that was like 26 percent is now less than 7 percent. And November, we just got the data last Friday uh, on uh, consumer credit. We our, our consumer credit that we've used in this country shot up the most ever in a single month. And I'm wondering why are we using more credit if we've got so much cash? Why ha- has our savings rate gone down? Uh, I'm doing a lot of work on that, Brian. You know, you mentioned I do a lot of work. There's other things. Maybe uh, people put the money in, in money market funds. There's got to be somewhere because a lot of these folks, and I bring them on my shows, really smart, brilliant experts are saying one to two trillion in excess cash. I don't know that I'm seeing it anymore. I know we had it because I just said we sent it out. You know, people spent 25 percent of it uh, just on just having fun. That's where you see those ships. They spent another 25 percent on bill, those bills and they saved the other half. That's great. But I think that's starting to whittle down. Uh, so, you know, between inflation, uh, between inflation, are now already dipping into our savings and, and and the fact that all of these wage hikes are fantastic, but they're going to plateau. I, I think I think we're going to have a, a rougher economy this year. Perhaps, I, I really believe before the year's over, the biggest conversation will be about recession.
3: So I know when you do Neil's show, you got to talk about everything more than just economics. So that's why this last soundbite, I think matters so much for this upcoming year. And that is how business views China. I know you guys, I'm a capitalist too, but not like you. Uh, they know where the dollars are. They know how to maximize the dividends and the stock price. And they're going to China and they're forgetting that China has changed. And Ray Dalio, maybe the most prestigious and respected investor, they say, in the country, has this soft view on China and compares us unfavorably to them. Listen to him describe the China he knows.
6: What they have is an autocratic system. Uh, um, And uh, one of the uh, leaders described it. He said uh, that uh, the United States is a country of individuals and individualism in China, it's an extension of the family. And as a top-down country, what they're doing is that it's that kind of like a strict parent. They behave like a strict parent.
3: So he's trying to rationalize his heavy investment in China, Say, describing China as a strict parent with over a million yeah. in concentration camps, 13 million enforced quarantines. Are they a strict parent who just steamrolled Hong Kong, wiped out and jailed people who are fighting for free speech and is now uh, probably a year or two away from trying to take Taiwan? Uh, does that do you understand that mindset?
8: You know, um, Ray Dalio has been tripping, for, for lack of a better word or one, if you feel comfortable saying on your radio show without being bleeped out. He's got me so angry over the last year and a half or so. Um, there's strict dictatorship, uh, and, and I think President Xi is in trouble. And I think what he's trying to do now, he's trying to go back to the Maoist uh, playbook. Uh, and, and, and by the way, they're willing to take a few economic hits to do this. Uh, and he's already talked, listen, if you want, from from what he's trying to achieve, which is world dominance, I can see where Ray Dalio may admire him. What he is doing, uh, with the most amazing ham-fisted method that you can do something, is he is trying to get his country positioned to dominate the rest of the world. So, yes, you know what? We're going to cut off video game playing, you know, one hour on Fridays, two hours on Saturdays. Uh, yes, we are going to do social credit scores. If you say anything bad about this government on the bus to a person sitting next to you, next time you try to buy something, you might either A, not be able to buy it, or B, you have to pay more interest for it. Uh, you know, we're going to crack down on every element of this society because we're going to make sure every day you're going to get up, you're going to do an hour of calisthenics, 12 hours of school, you're going to learn a foreign language, there is no summer school. Uh, you know, so he's trying to get back to this Maoist mentality. I think his problem, though, is, you know, Mao, if you remember in China, you know, when he went up against the government there, he had to retreat into the woods, and into the forest, and they lived badly. And when they finally won, he had a true chip on his shoulder, right? Uh, he can't get – he's having trouble with the youth over there, the President chief. There's this thing they call lying flat. Essentially, it's, it's where the young people are disenfranchised, or just, dis, you know, they're sort of disgruntled. They're disgruntled all over the world. Uh, the best case study for this is Japan, where they call them grass eaters. A pre- professor there came up with this term about 15 years ago. Young men who want to play video games all night long, live in a persona of the person that's on their screen, and only engage and interact with other people through a digital means. They're not interested in the opposite sex. Uh, you're gonna go from 120 million to 80 million people. President Xi watches that. He is watching that. He will not allow that to happen if he can stop it. He may have a trouble stopping it, though. So he's in trouble, but he sees how he can dominate the world. He's already told, and he did a speech about three months ago. He did an interview three months ago. I thought it was fascinating. He, he said, and it's so interesting that uh, they call it common prosperity there, where the Democrats call it shared prosperity here. But he did make, he did make a line. He said, we're not aiming to be like Europe, socialist Europe. Uh, a, a continent that's living in the past that doesn't produce anything, right? If you think of all the great stuff out there in terms of innovation over the last 10, 20 years, very little comes out of Europe. He doesn't, he says, and he says, no one will lie flat. In other words, everyone will work. Every single person will work. On the other hand, we won't be America where the winner takes all. So they're going to distribute the the gains. Uh, And so, listen, Ray Dalio, unfortunately, I think, is a billionaire who probably thinks he's smarter than everyone else in the world, has a kindred spirit with President Xi. They're kindred spirits. They're dictators in their own way. They think they're smarter than everyone. They control so much. One is an ultimate billionaire. One's the ultimate dictator. Of course there's an affinity for that.
3: I just want uh, there to be public pressure in PR to get these, uh, J.P. Morgan Chase and others, to stop investing there. Why do we have to fuel the takeover they of won't our economy? Stop.
8: They won't Listen, you got to talk to Republicans in parts of this because, you know, when you were introducing this segment, one thing you got wrong about me. And when it comes to this, I'm, a, 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 you know, my Republican, my, my, my conservative friends, they really think I'm backwards on this. But I've been saying we need to make some sacrifices. We need to bring – you know, there's a guy um, – uh, uh, golly, I just got a mental block, a real famous economist from way back who talked about comparative advantage. And, and essentially it means, hey, if somebody in another country can make something better and cheaper than you, why would you make it? The problem, though, is China doesn't make things better than us. They've only made it cheaper. And we've used, Ricardo, so they've used this sort of Ricardo line of thinking over the years, right? And gotcha. and sadly, as as they've done this, you know they—they've stolen technology. We've given away. Look at how much we're—we're we're waiting for China to send us masks right now. I mean, a testing kids. Think about how dumb we are. How stupid we Absolutely, are. Absolutely, I did how not. How dumb this could be. I mean, it's crazy.
3: Charles, yeah. that was like a—that was like I just got a—I just got a master's degree in economics. That is, uh, I love the perspective <laughs> you give. I appreciate. It. We're gonna Thanks, watch you. We're gonna watch you on your show, and then watch you at four o'clock on, on Fox News Channel.
8: Sounds good, man. See you soon.
3: Thanks so much, Charles. Uh, back to finish up this hour and find out if there's more to know in just a moment. Brian Kilmeade Show.
8: Expanding your
2: knowledge base, it's Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade.
3: Hey, welcome back. Just quick note, pick up the President of Freedom Fighter. If you want to get race in perspective in this country, where we were and where we are, two extraordinary guys I'm talking about Abraham Lincoln and Frederick Douglass, especially with the president bringing up this uh, idea of reconstruction in America and where race actually was. And it was uh, firmly within the uh, Democratic Party. But right now, let's find out if there's even more to know.
2: More to know.
3: Are you drinking wine correctly? There's a good chance you are not. A new study finds that 8 in 10 people who don't follow traditional wine etiquette, and now oh, 17% make sure to always swirl and sniff their drink. That's good. Conducted by one poll When asked about their favorite wine and food pairings, men prefer mac and cheese over other dishes, 41%. Well, women, um, uh, uh, women opt for wings unexpectedly. 62% of men and 50% of women also prefer wine over beer. While watching sports. to I me,
4: find that fascinating because to me sports and beer go side by side. This must have been done by like
3: the people at Rio Needy. Yes. Yeah. Next. <laughs> Top ways Americans reject wine etiquette, drink wine at a room temperature, holding a glass of wine by the ball. Next. Hunter Biden's ex-wife speaks out. A brand new memoir has been put out by Penguin. It's called If We Break, a memoir of marriage, addiction, and healing. Our ex-wife plans to break her silence about how his cheating and substance abuse destroyed their marriage. No kidding. Uh, I wonder who's not going to care about that. Yeah, Everybody no, be... except us, probably. Yeah. Yep. Right. So that's why I think she's probably going to go do Sean Hannity first, don't you think?
0: Well, maybe this show.
3: And then maybe Tucker. Yeah. And then and maybe yeah. us. But yeah. Maybe the Brian Kilmeade Show. Why do I think? Why do I not think of myself first? <laughs> uh, see you tomorrow on Fox & Friends. Always keep it here on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Go to More or the podcast. Make your own programming.